0: Well, good morning, Sayleville Church, uh, to what is another very bizarre uh, morning here in the year 2020. Uh, Of course, I wish that I was with you guys, but with my sickness, of course, uh, better that I'm over here and not with you guys getting you guys sick. Uh, But that's not going to stop us from continuing on in our series. We are in the ninth of the Ten Commandments, which is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." Or in a more straightforward sense, don't lie. Now, we're very familiar with lying in our culture today, obviously, even with this, all this fake news, right? I mean, a term popularized in 2016 and has just, you know, gained popularity with all the COVID craziness and whatnot. But one of the biggest questions that I've seen thrown around because of all this is where is the truth? Right? Where is the truth and where is the lies? You have all these statistics everywhere. Where is the truth? And, and the frustration, at least from my perspective, is that it doesn't seem that anyone knows with 100% certainty where that truth actually is. But let's just say, for the sake of a thought experiment, that there was a doctor who actually knew the unadulterated truth about this virus. He knew it. And instead of informing the public, he decided that he was going to withhold that information from us. And we caught wind of it. What do you think we would do? I would guess that we would just go berserk, right? I mean, you can imagine social media. We would be blasting this guy's face all over the place. And in a sense, rightfully so, because we would rightfully condemn his deceitfulness as wrong, wouldn't we? Now, I think this is one of the most intriguing concepts about the Ninth Commandment because this commandment is something that an atheist who normally would cringe at just the idea of the Ten Commandments can actually get behind it. And at the same time, a seasoned Christian who's been a Christian for a long time can break this commandment almost every single day without giving it a second thought. I find that so fascinating. For instance, This is Sam Harris. This is what he says about lying. And Sam Harris is one of the leading uh, uh, atheist philosophers of our time. He says this, A wasteland of embarrassment and social upheaval can be neatly avoided by following a single precept in life. Don't lie. That's the atheist. right? And then the statistics actually show that one in every five conversations a college kid has with their parents is a lie. Now for me it was like three out of five. We're not going to talk about that right now, right? Also, on average, when you have a ten minute conversation with a stranger, humans tell on average three lies. I find that fascinating. As a whole, this commandment seems to be universally agreed with and at the very same time universally ignored. Right, so well, All I want to do this morning is I just want to make two points about the ninth commandment. And that is that this commandment is far more painful than you might imagine, and also far more purposeful than you might imagine. Far more painful and far more purposeful. And when I say painful, I obviously don't mean physically painful, but rather I don't think that we Feel the weight of what is occurring when we're actually breaking this ninth commandment. Uh, Some of you may know my story, some of you, many of you may not, Uh, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 18 and before that I was in trouble with the law and I was getting arrested and all sorts of stuff. And I remember a phone call that my dad uh, called me one time and I could hear the panic in his voice a little bit. And he's, he's calling me and he's saying, John, I just talked to the lawyer and I think that they're saying that it's possible that you may be tried as an adult and uh, man, this could really go south for you. And I remember just, you know, being an ignorant teenager, I remember just blowing it off and going, Dad, come on, it's not a big deal, like just relax. And my dad, you know, he's losing his mind on the other end of the phone. And the reason why I acted like that was because I didn't really understand the weight or comprehend the weight of what I had actually done. And I don't think that there is a story in the Bible that encapsulates the weight of breaking the ninth commandment better than the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And it's a well-known story. It's found in Acts 5, and that's where we're going to be for the remainder of our time, or most of our time here at least. And it's just 11 verses. I'm just going to read that for you. Acts chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money and received that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you when it was sold, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. When the young men came forward, they wrapped his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for this land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Then Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they're going to carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and died. And then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Yeah, I bet a great fear seized the whole church when that happened. Now, you can learn a lot about lying in this story, but I just want to point out a couple things. First, when you lie, you are committing cosmic treason. I get that term from the late R.C. Sproul meaning that when you break God's law even if it's just a tiny little white lie you're not dabbling in something that's no big deal rather you have committed treason against the king of the universe now admittedly that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because virtually everyone when they first hear this story their first reaction is to say that's unfair God you can't do that you can't kill somebody for lying or can you? the stories clearly seem to think that God could kill somebody for lying just the other day I was meeting with a friend of mine who uh, is a skeptic and this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for him to believe in Christianity he goes John I just cannot wrap my mind around the fact that a God could give a murderer and then a child who lied to their parents the same punishment. This doesn't make sense to me. And I looked at him and I said, okay, without getting off on the rabbit trail of, you know, the doctrines of hell or whatnot, I looked at him and I said, the penalty for one's sin in one sense does not depend on what that sin is but rather who that sin is against. If I'm walking down the street, and you decide I wanna punch you in the face, (laughs) and you decide for some reason, you just punch me in the face, you'd get in trouble, right? I mean, you might not get in that much trouble, you'd get in some sort of trouble. Now, if the President of the United States is walking down the street, and you decide you wanna punch him in the face, You're going to get in a whole lot more trouble, aren't you? You see, even from a finite perspective, we recognize that the prominence of the person being wronged plays a significant role in the punishment. And here's the correlation. When you sin, even if it's a white lie, you are not sinning against little old John or even the president, you are sinning against the holiness of God himself. And because God is a just judge, his holy wrath rightfully remains on you. John 3.36 says, Whoever rejects the Son, they won't see life. For God's wrath remains on them. Do you feel the weight of your sin? And I'm specifically talking to those of you listening that don't have a proper understanding of the gospel. Because when you sin, when you lie, even if it's a little white lie, you're not dabbling in something that is no big deal. You are dabbling. In something that has the potential to condemn your soul. That's serious stuff. It's painful stuff. But this story also shows us that lying exposes our idols. So, just the other day, I'm on Facebook and uh, I have a friend Facebook message me. And uh, they said they just want to catch up. And I thought to myself, oh, it's so nice. This old friend wants to catch up. And then, just out of the blue, the conversation has kind of switched. And they started telling me how I could build up assets to provide ongoing cash flow. <laughs> and I quickly recognized, I don't really think they cared about what I was doing, right? They just wanted me to be a part of their business. They had deeper motives than what they originally let on. And I think the same thing is true for our lies. Because lying exposes our motives. It exposes what's really going on underneath in the heart right and the easiest way this can be fleshed out is simply by asking yourself "Well, why are you lying or somebody else why are you lying well why were Ananias and Sapphira lying well they lied because they wanted to be seen as super godly right or in prominent and so they lied about how much money they actually gave. And by doing so they exposed their idolatry when we lie we attempt to keep hidden what we idolize most. So maybe you're lying to your spouse so that you can keep your idol of pornography hidden. Or maybe you're lying to your friends and your co-workers to keep your idol of your reputation alive. Or maybe you're even lying to the government to keep your idol of money in your pocket. Well, whatever the case may be, your lying exposes the motives of your heart. And as Jeremiah tells us, your hearts left to themselves are desperately wicked and destructive. This story also shows us that lying is destructive to the people around us. And this is obvious that Ananias' lying drugs Sapphira down to the grave with them, Right? And this is probably the most obvious effect of lying because all of us have been affected in one way or another. When someone has lied to us, we felt the destructiveness of it. There's something uniquely painful when someone lies to you, isn't there? But most of us, or some of us at least, aren't aren't being lied to, rather we're the ones doing the lying, right? So let me give you three telltale signs to show or to see if that you are a liar or a deceiver. You ready? Here's the first one. Do you exaggerate everything to make yourself either look good or others look bad? All right, we all know the type. Secondly, do you tell a lot of half-truths? Right? Your boss comes in and they ask you, Hey, what did you do today? And you told them all the good things. But you just happened to leave out the fact that you... Uh, took a two-hour lunch break or thirdly and of course probably the most prominent of all lies is do you gossip or slander other people behind their back without giving them a chance to defend themselves and I say it's the most prevalent but uh, personally I think it's probably the most hurtful as well a gossip or a slander Proverbs 16.28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisper separates close friends. Or someone once said, A tongue has no bones, but it's strong enough to break a heart. Yeah, I think that's true. And if you're a Christian, and and this describes you, I just want to warn you that it's not just other Christians you're affecting you are destroying the name of Jesus in the minds of the unsaved world around you. Because trust me, they're watching you. Especially in the culture we live in today. They are watching you. And they're taking note if you are a liar. In fact, I was again just on Facebook and I, uh, one of my friends posted this and I had to screenshot it because it was powerful. She said this, The most toxic people are those who claim to have Jesus so present in their life. I'm going to guess that the reason why she said that was because there was a Christian in her life who said one thing with their mouth and did another thing with their actions or with their life. Proverbs 19.9 sums up the destructiveness of breaking the ninth commandment pretty well. and This is what it says. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. The breaking of this commandment is far more painful than you might imagine. But the keeping of this commandment is far more purposeful than you might imagine. And that's where we're gonna spend the rest of our time: is talking about the purpose of this commandment. Because when you understand the purpose of restrictions, then you can experience the benefits they bring, right? It's like buying a brand new sports car. The owner manual is not simply there to keep you from doing certain things, right? But rather, it's to get you to enjoy the car in its fullest capacity, right? So don't put kerosene in the gas tank, right? So that you can experience the joy of a working sports car. And that essentially is, is the point of this commandment. This commandment's not simply to get you to stop lying. Yes, yeah, stop lying, that's true. But it's not just to get you to stop lying, but mainly to drive you to the truth, the pleasure of it. And that's what I'm gonna do for the remainder of our time. I'm gonna give you four outcomes of living in the truth. And the first one is by far the most glorious and the most amazing. And For some of you here, the one you need to pay most attention to. And here's what it is. The first outcome is that the truth sets you free from the punishment of treason. So there is a historical conversation that happened 2,000 years ago with a Roman man named Pilate and a Jewish teacher named Jesus that you may be very well aware of and some of you may know exactly the conversation that they had. And Pilate was asking Jesus questions about his kingship and this was right after Jesus was arrested and hours before he was flogged and then killed. And as they went back and forth Pilate would ask Jesus a question Jesus would return the favor by asking Pilate a question. They kept on going back and forth until finally Jesus gave Pilate a straightforward answer. And this is what he said to the question, are you a king? Jesus said, Pilate, you say that I am a king. And for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Listens to my voice. To which Pilate retorted, probably with a sneer in his face, What is truth? Well, the, the truth of the matter is that every single one of us has broken God's law and has committed cosmic treason against our king. And this king could have rightfully just condemned us right there on the spot and been done away with us. That would have been the just thing to do. But he didn't. Rather he showed us common grace by allowing us to scamper off in our rebellion and then Finally, he eventually sent help. But when he sent help, he didn't just send some ambassador or some prophet or even an angel. When the king wanted the job done right, he sent himself. King Jesus came down to earth to fulfill the law and to pardon you and I from our treason by offering us his righteousness. And this is a gift for anyone, to anyone, who would hear his voice and follow him. Now, some of you here this morning that are listening, you've never truly recognized that you are a sinner who desperately needs the king's pardon found only in the truth of the cross Jesus says in John 14:6 I am the way I am the truth and I am the life not a single person comes to the Father except through me except through the King So ask yourself that has the truth, set you free? I'm begging you to ask yourself that question this morning. Because if it hasn't, then just contemplate. Just contemplate the possibility that you are missing out on the greatest purpose you could ever be a part of. Uh, It's obvious that that's that's, that's the truth outcome that I think is the most glorious. But there are more, so let's move on. Uh, but for the rest of these, you have to be set free first. And here's the second one. second outcome for living in truth is that the truth leads you to a life of integrity. Now, don't ask me why, but um, uh, I had to take two math classes uh, when I got my theology degree. I don't know, maybe just because I was really stupid so they made me take a couple of them. But I did learn something. I learned what an integer was. And lucky for me, that actually comes into play here because the word integrity actually comes out of that word integer, which means a unit of one, which means it's getting at the idea that integrity, you're when you're a person of integrity, you're not double minded, right? You're not two minded, you're one minded, you're single minded, meaning that you're not, uh, you don't say one thing and then do another, right? You don't act one way at church, and then another way at work, and then another way with your friends. You don't have all of these things cut up into pieces, but rather you consistently speak and act in a way that is in accordance with God's word. So for instance, a person of integrity is not a gossip, but rather he thinks long and hard before saying anything about anyone when they're not around. So this is what Philip Reichen says that we should ask ourselves right before we speak about somebody else when they're not around. He says this, Is what I'm about to say true? If so, does it really need to be said to this person in this conversation? Would I put it this way if the person I'm talking about were here to listen? If not, if our words fail to meet these simple tests, then it would be better for us to not speak at all. So a person of integrity doesn't gossip. Also, a person of integrity doesn't listen to gossip. But rather they stand up for the character of the person being talked about because they're not there to defend themselves. This one was a huge one for me. Extremely convicting because I am totally that person. I'll say, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't gossip that much, but uh, I'll sure listen to gossip pretty easily, right? Oh man, wow, that person's really screwed up with that according to God's word, is sinful. In fact, Proverbs 17.4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to mischievous tongue. Or as the Puritan Thomas Watson said, He that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue, and he that receives it carries a devil in his ear. But it's not just words, right? We said words and action in accordance to God's word. And so it's also action. So lastly, a person of integrity keeps his promises or keeps the promises that they make. Proverbs 25, 14 says, Like clouds and wind without rain is a person who boasts of a gift he does not give. This verse is talking about that person who always has the greatest ideas but never has the work ethic to actually get them done. As we like to say around here, make promises and keep them. Or as Charles Swindoll said, integrity is not only the way one thinks, but even more the way one acts. It is as basic as keeping your word and fulfilling your promise. The third outcome. Of living in truth is that truth gives you the courage to stand up for what is true. This is huge today. Just uh, a chapter before our story about Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 4 of Acts, uh, we actually find Paul and John, or Peter and John rather, in jail for preaching the gospel. And they're brought before the Sanhedrin, and they're actually warned. They're told, you better knock it off before something worse happens. And I love what Peter says. This is what Peter says to them. He says, what is right in God's eyes? For us to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. In other words, Peter is essentially saying, look, buddy, we're going to tell the truth, whether you like it or not. What are you going to do about it? As Christians, we have been called by God himself to stand up for truth in a world that is full of lies. But here's the catch. Standing up for truth in our society today should always be filtered through the gospel. Look. You want to end racism? So do I. But it starts with sharing the gospel, giving the gospel to that racist heart. You want to end abortion? So do I. But it starts with sharing the gospel, giving the gospel to that hurting girl that is making arguably one of the hardest decisions of her life. You want to do away with the destructive, uh, evil, political worldviews that are encroaching in on our home and, and destroying the minds of our kids, it starts by giving the gospel to the same people who share those same political views. Cultures change over time, through individuals coming into a relationship with their Creator. Your Facebook posts are not going to change the culture. Only the Gospel can change the culture. Do you believe that? The question is, do we have the guts to stand up for truth in a Biblical way? Or are we just content to post about it? Fourth and lastly, the truth leads you to tell yourself the truth instead of telling yourself a lie. So Jesus actually uh, rebuked the Pharisees one time and he told them, you have no room for my word. Talking about their hearts. He's saying your hearts have no room for me. Unfortunately, I honestly think Jesus probably could have said the same thing about us. And I'm speaking from my own personal experience because every morning, every morning the alarm goes off and instead of reaching for the truth of God's word, we decide rather to reach for our phones and to start filling our minds and our hearts with all of the lies of the world. We reach for our phones, they're filling us with lies, and as a result, we're so full of crap, essentially, that there's no room for God's word. When we sit down in the morning to read our Bible, there's just simply no more room in our heart because we're so full of what we've been watching and reading. We, We are obviously today going through a very, unique time. It's, these are unprecedented times. I wouldn't be in this room preaching to you if that weren't true. And some of you, as we like to say, are at the end of your rope. And this is why it's so necessary. especially. It's always been necessary, but especially today. To, to constantly, every single morning, be in God's Word. Open up the truth and let it sanctify you. In fact, that's what Jesus, that was one of the last things Jesus prayed for his disciples for in Acts or in John 17, right before he was arrested and then killed. He said, "Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth." Say theville church, don't allow yourself to get sucked into the lies of this world. Rather, Sanctify yourself with the word of truth every single morning. Would you do that? As I end, let me just ask two questions before we go to the uh, Lord's table. The first one is for those of you who are not Christians. Has the truth set you free? And if not, what are you waiting for? And then the second question I have is, if the truth has set you free, are you allowing the truth to sanctify you every single morning? Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for King Jesus. Lord, we thank you for King Jesus. We thank you for what he did for us on the cross by offering a pardon for us offering us his righteousness because of his perfect life who we're about to celebrate. We have the ability to accept that free gift. And Lord, we thank you for your death, your death on the cross, making it possible for us to have your righteousness. Lord, we thank you. I pray that we would meditate on that today and this morning. We love you. In your son's name, amen.